Hello and welcome to True Crime Medieval 1000 Years of People Behaving Badly. I'm Anne Brannan and I'm your host in Albuquerque. And I'm Michelle Butler in Maryland, the most medieval state in America. And we're in Scotland. We're in Scotland today. Every once in a while we like to go back to Scotland because there's a lot of murders in Scotland. And today we're discussing the day that King James II murdered William Douglas, the 8th Earl of Douglas, which was 22nd of February, 1452. And really, he did murder him. Was this like an accident? No, it wasn't. It, he totally murdered him. So, your background. You ready, Michelle? I'll give you the background. Okay, right, hold on. Help me. T- <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm go. ready. Now, some of this background, actually, we already covered in our Black Dinner episode because William's father, James, James Douglas, not obviously James Stewart, that was the seventh Earl, had gained power after James the sec- the first had been assassinated. Now, we, we go back. James the first had been badgering and executing and generally annoying the nabl- nobles of the country, and so he got a- assassinated. And his queen, who was a Beaufort, you remember, um, mm-hmm. got wounded, but she escaped, and she, got to, she rescued her child, who was then, of course, James the second. He was six at this point. Well, James the first was an- assassinated. And his successor was a bitty, bitty thing. And so the country needed regents because six-year-old people cannot run the country on their own. We're all agreed on this. Except maybe the six-year-olds aren't, but the, they we outnumber them. So whatever. So that was in 1437 that James II became king. And the regent at that point was his nephew, who was Archibald Douglas. That was the fifth Earl of Douglas. But he died of a fever in 1439. And so the power got shared then kind of shakily among the Crichton and a Livingston and the James Douglas that we're talking about, the, this James Douglas, who's the father of the William Douglas, who is the victim of our particular podcast today. We get various victims at various times amongst the Douglases and the Stuarts, but this is ours for today. So his dad was instrumental in orchestrating what we call the Black Dinner. You remember? That's the. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. At which William Douglas, you understand that's his like his grand nephew or something. I mean, they're related. William Douglas, who was the sixth Earl and Archibald's son, if you're keeping track of this, was murdered at the age of 16 along with his younger brother. Okay, so he or- helped orchestrate that because, as you will see, the Douglases don't mind to kill each other off. They spend a lot of time doing this, and so this is weird. This. So at that point, James Douglas, the one who helped orchestrate the Black Dinner and kill off the young Earl, uh, he became the Earl of Douglas. And his brother Archibald's line was no longer in power on account of the Black Dinner and a bunch of death. Okay, so James's son, William Douglas, our victim in this particular podcast, he became Earl three years later in 1443. And then what he did was he went off to Rome for the Jubilee. It was like, okay, every, every 50 years there's like a Jubilee. So he went to the Jubilee on an extended journey. He had safe conduct passes that let him travel all through like England and France and Flanders. And he didn't come back to Scotland until 1451. <laughs> all righty, all righty then. Anyway, why not? So he left. Um, and that was in August of 1451 because he had a job to do. He was one of the Scottish conservators looking over this truce that was going on at the time with England. It was short-lived. But at any rate, um, he had been gone for a while. And while he was gone, King James who was grown up by then and no longer a bitty thing, had been attacking Douglas lands theoretically, theoretically, because the Douglases had been misbehaving and harassing nearby lords. But, and, and, and really, frankly, they probably had been. Why not? But foundationally, because the Douglases had become so powerful, James wanted out from under. You remember it was, the, it was William's father who had helped kill off that Archibald Douglas's line, you know, and had a lot of power. Okay. So William Douglas got back into the country in 1451 in August, as I said, and things kind of stayed sort of uneasy and tense until February 
1452 which is where we are today. At which point, one of William's close friends, and this was actually a relative, also he was a cousin. Oh, imagine my show. (laughs) Who isn't? They're all cousins. Everybody is a cousin. Um, Brought a summons to visit the king and also a safe conduct, which was apparently written in James's own hand, as far as I can tell. Uh, He was supposed to go to Sterling and see the king. He was uneasy about this, but of course he had the safe conduct and that's really, that's really precious, isn't it? And so you will be safe with that. And I guess he was safe getting there. At any rate, the, he went and despite history and being Scottish, he went, he probably knew better, but he did. And the king demanded, <laughs> yes. the king de- <laughs> yes, he should have known better. <laughs> and we were like, because it's constant come to dinner or like come i mean you know robert the bruce killed um john coleman in front of the high altar it was the same thing it'll be it'll be safe there because it's sanctuary you know till till i lose my temper at the point at which the scots lose their tempers i'll have you know it's a katie bar the door at any rate the king demanded that douglas dissolve this agreement that douglas had been in on with Alexander Lindsay and John of Islay, which was, and I quote, a bond against all men, including the king, end of quote. (laughs) And this had all gotten put together after John of Islay had captured some royal castles in the north. And Alexander Lindsay, also from the north, had joined up with Douglas. And so... I, there's there's apparently some discussion as to whether or not this really was intended to bring the king down. But whether or not it was actually intended to bring the king down, it was definitely intended as something that was not in favor of the king. All right. So there and, and Douglas refused to dissolve the alliance and James lost his temper and stabbed him. Now, we get this from the Auchinleck Chronicle. There's a frag. It's a fragment, but it's, the, we're, it's, it's fairly contemporary. So, OK. It tells us that James stabbed the Earl 26 times, which I believe we call overkill. It does not suggest, this does not suggest decisions made with a cold head. No, this, this is, this is hot-headed. He lost his temper and James was known for, James, the fiery face was known for losing his temper. Um, James had a, a red birthmark on his face and the, the, the understanding amongst the people at the time was that the reason he had this was that it was indication of his temper, which he also had and was being inflicted on William Douglas at that time. So he stabbed him 26 times <laughs> and they threw him out the window. Now, Michelle, at some point, I think we need to make a little list of all the people in the podcast that we've collected so far who get assassinated and thrown out of windows. What is this throwing out of windows things? Because, you know, it's like this is constant. Beatrice Chenchi's dad thrown out the window. Joanna of Naples, first husband thrown out the window. There's a lot of throwing out the window. It's the defenestration list. <laughs> well, you can't just stab people and leave them in the hall or the bedroom. or No, you have to throw them out the window. And it isn't like, it's like, oh, this person must have died out here, you know? No, because there's blood all in the, the, in the bedroom. And <laughs> anyway, they threw him out the window. And then James's um, couriers were in on this too. They stabbed Douglas a bunch. And apparently Sir Patrick Gray is the one that um, whacked him in the head with a poleaxe. And so he was dead. He was very dead. Now, Douglas had no issue, and so his brother James Douglas then became the ninth Earl of Douglas. So, well, that was our crime. I'm, I'm, um, I can also tell you, I'm going to be telling you also then what happened after that. But you want to add anything in here, Michelle? There's, there's William Douglas. He's dead. They went through quite a lot of Douglases in fairly rapid succession. The Earl of Douglas, they boop, 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 boop. <laughs> also, I think an understated public service that we're providing with this podcast is disabusing people of wanting to be royalty in the middle ages. Yeah. Or nobility of any kind. No, it is horrible. What you want to do if you have to, if you find yourself in one of those time little wrinkle things and you find yourself back in the middle ages what you want to do is figure out how to fly under the wire. You yeah. do not want to associate yourself with power. Power is not great. No. In the middle. Don't even about- be a goldsmith. It's too close. No, be no. A, you know, a nice blacksmith. Something 
where you're just not getting anybody's attention. Right. You you want to be above a, a an actual peasant or serf because that's just too hard, so hard, so hard. You, know, you want to have like a, a, a trade. So learn a trade, but yeah, no, no. Grocer, grocer would be fine. You can like drag food around. That'd be okay. <laughs> Apparently, if you are a con artist, be a baker. We learned that a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then if they catch you, it's really bad. You don't want to do that. I think we being a weaver would be all right, but not an embroiderer. Again, too close. Too close. Too close. No. Mm-mm. The whole, the whole, I'm glad I don't have little kids anymore to where we have the, the Disney princess thing in the house, you know, because mm, it's ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have to say myself that I, I never really enjoyed the Disney princesses, but you know, although I did like um I did like Snow White. She was around when I was a kid. I liked Snow White, but that was mostly on account of um the singing with the little animals, you know. I mean birds come and sing and do your housework. I mean it's great. I I was into that. Uh, to be to be honest, I think I think the amazing clothing were you know, was the attraction for my kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Disney princesses are indeed dressed nicely. It's true. It's true. Well, at any rate, so, yeah, okay, so Douglas's. Douglas is getting killed off right and left, and here's another one. We're going to have some more in a minute because I'm going to explain what happened after that. So did things calm down then? Did did Was the King James able to say, okay, Douglas dead, everybody just stand back and calm down and stop having no 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 what we had was civil war intermittent civil war until 1455 (laughs) no it didn't go well the king was continually being defeated things were not going well for the king whatsoever but what he did so he wasn't so great at the whole fighting thing and the winning of battles but what he did what he was really good at was um leveraging patronage and so he ended up getting a bunch of the douglas allies over to his side and that's what happened uh so at the battle of um arkenholm which was may the first 1455 it was a small battle but it ended up being very decisive james who james douglas who was the ninth earl as because he inherited it from his overly stabbed father uh was um in england he was rallying support so he wasn't there for the battle but his three brothers were archibald who was the earl of Moray, was killed in the battle and his head was cut off and presented to the king hugh douglas who was the earl of ormond was captured at the battle and executed and john douglas who was the lord of balvenie got away and went to england because scotland was way too hot at that point so what that was um, was not just um, the end of the Civil War fighting with James II. It was the end of the Black Douglases. And so now I'm going to explain the Black Douglases and the Red Douglases. Would you like that, Michelle, if I explain that to you? Yeah. And then I want to talk. Um, I want us to talk a little bit about um, the ways that this intriguingly parallels the wars of the roses i had no idea that this was going on up here in scotland at the same time very fascinating yeah 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 because it's all like cousins fighting each other all right in different different realms okay so here's the whole thing about the douglases the earldom uh the earldom you know the 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 earldom of the, the the earl of douglas was was had had been defeated and the earldom meaning the lordship and the lands were given over to george douglas the fourth earl of angus and he was one of the red douglases george douglas was a red douglas um william douglas and his son james were black douglas the black line was descended from william the hardy through an illegitimate son of sir james douglas the black douglas who was called the black douglas uh, and he was important during the wars of scottish independence in the 14th century you know which and the red line was descended from an illegitimate son of william douglas the first earl of douglas and so they were related but they they were descended from um william hardy through two different lines and the black douglases had been the ones that's the earl of douglas and they were the ones who had all this power okay so they're related but they were at odds it was they had a tense relationship all this time i kind of went back and forth and george douglas the earl of angus for instance had 
along with William, this is our victim Douglas of the day, uh, had been raiding the north of England, but that was the last time they joined together. During the Civil War, after the murder of William, um, the Earl of Angus allied with King James, who was, by the way, his first cousin. Hello! <laughs> any rate, so he, <laughs> he allied with, you know, James Stuart rather than with um, uh, the Douglases, and he became the leader of the king's forces. So that was why when the Black du Douglases lost power, the Red Douglases gained it. And so they remained, mm. you know, the they were the Earls of Angus, but they had, they gained all that Black Douglas land. So they were the ones who were powerful from then on. And there you go. And then does the Earl of Douglas just cease to be a title? Yes. Yes, it's over. Yeah, I don't think he would be able, James would be able to allow that to descend to anybody if he wants to put an end to their power. It would be very dangerous for him to give that title even to somebody else because there's so much heritage coming with it. Yeah, he gives all the, the lands to the Earls of Angus. The title of the Earl of Angus is now held by the Duke of Hamilton. And both of these lines are descended from illegitimate children, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because certainly in Wales, and Wales more than any place else, but then also in Scotland, the illegitimacy is not as much an issue as it is. The Anglo-Normans are just nuts about that. I mean, to the point, I mean, not <laughs> to the point at which they're willing to like completely forego like lose lines entirely because they've got no quote unquote legitimate heirs. But, you know, and, and to be frank, as it goes on down into the Tudors, I don't know what Henry Tudor might've done had his illegitimate son survived rather than dying um, fairly young. Mm, you know, he might not have had a Queen Elizabeth. That's an interesting question. I knew that he had Henry Fitzroy, but I didn't remember that, um, Henry Fitzroy died young. Yeah, Bessie Blount's son died. Yeah, he died like, I think, what, early teens or something like that. Yeah, it stinks to be an illegitimate kid of the Anglo-Norman lords because they expect you to work for them, but you will never, ever get to work your way into the line. So they, ex they expect you to be there and help support the family, but you're never going to be able to inherit the good stuff they they kind of set you up with minor holdings over there yeah. but then you're expected to come and fight for come and fight for the illegitimate line like uh, matilda's mm -hmm. matilda's brother was instrumental mm -hmm. at supporting her claim mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah this was fascinating i didn't know any of this history and i did <laughs> not know that there was this um mirror image civil war going on up in scotland between you know, two branches of the same family, the Douglases and the, and the Stuarts, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. of course the Douglases amongst themselves, like we have with the Lancastrians and the, and the mm -hmm, Yorkists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who are, um, who are basically two lines of Plantagenets yeah. um, trying to fight it out yep. and then killing each other off so that neither one of them has yeah. the throne and it's the Tudors. Da, da, da. <laughs> and that, you know, that you have a similar decimation of the nobility in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with all of this fighting, that's why um, living the Livingstons are able to grab some power. They're not a big deal until there's this vacuum. Yeah, it's it's just so dumb, and, and it's just like so dumb. I mean, I understand. Okay, we want the power, trying to, but it's so short sighted, and it is doesn't work very well. Also, to be fair. Um, at least in this in the in Scotland, apparently a bunch of temper is going on too, which you don't hear so much about in the in the uh, cousins' war in England. <laughs> There's much more premeditated god awfulness going on. <laughs> There's a fair amount of lust based bad decisions going on in in <laughs> the cousins' war. <laughs> Edward could have held on to that throne if he'd have married properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dragging the Woodvilles into um, the royal presence was kind of a mistake. I like Anthony Woodville, though, but oh well. Things don't go well for him. 
it's not a good time to be nobility. It's just awful. And this sort of, you know, this sort of violence feeds off of itself. Yeah. Once- yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you have to, it's like that. <laughs> no wonder we get to the point where we're going to have, a, what we're going to have is the Jacobean revenge tragedy. It's just, it's really basically what you're seeing in history. It's like over and over and over and over and over. I'm now, I'm, I'm really angry at you because you killed thus of such. And so going to slaughter you in are, front of the high altar. Are we going to talk about James getting killed by his cannon? James II um, is really fascinated by artillery like his dad was and was really um, interested in the, the possibilities of artillery for warfare. And he had just got uh, a new cannon. I think it was called the Lion. And he was, and of course, there's a huge problem with, with 15th century cannon. There, the gunpowder is not, you know, prototype the prototypes of things, first generation, you know, beta versions of things do not always work. All so that this awesome. Is the, this is the beta cannon. That this is the beta cannon, and he's standing Oops. too close to it, and it explodes and like takes off one of his legs, and he bleeds to death. He was only twenty nine. Oh really? Oh really? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize that. So what year is that? Do you know offhand? Uh, 1460. But he hasn't made it to his 30th birthday yet oh. because his birthday is in October and he was killed on the 3rd of August. Okay. So it's five years after he the he wins that battle against the Douglases. Okay. So yeah, so and it's, it's eight years. Things have been calm for five years. And so then yeah. he blows himself up. He, he hoists himself with his own petard. That is actually how we, that phrase is supposed to be used. He is, he hoists himself with his own petard. God, violent ends for all of them. Good Lord. So then who's king after that? Just wondering, is that, is it King, is it James the third? Yeah. His son, James the third. Okay. All right. And I'm trying to work out how old he was when he came to the throne he was born oh god it was another kids it was another child king because he was born in 1451 oh okay and his mom acts as her read as his regent until she dies and then it must be someone else because he still would be little it was a bad they they had a really rough run of it there so he died in battle james the third all right Good Lord. Yes. Yeah. The Stuarts and the Douglases both. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that's my background um, and my explanation of our uh, lovely murder for the day. Uh, Last time we met, we had no murders. It was all about a copyright issue, which didn't actually exist, although there was a war later, but it was a tiny one. So, but today we had murder and a bunch of deaths and it was all sad. And you went and found, I believe you went and found some plays. I did. Yeah. This was, I mean, I want to talk about the plays, but this was a flat up murder. I mean, I was a little bit shocked by the the lack of ambiguity. Everybody knew he just killed him. He just, yeah. Well, he was on safe conduct to have a little discussion and he lost his temper and killed him. And there's no, I mean, there's no. There's no wiggle room. (laughs) No, no. No, and it doesn't, of course, really solve anything. Then what we have is civil war, you know. But no, it was not a good move. So what I have for you is, uh, mm. is, is how James, for his relatively short but extremely eventful reign, uh, shows up in. I'm going to mention the historical fiction, but I mostly am going to tell you about the plays. Yeah, um, of course. Uh huh. Um, one of the things that I did not know until we started doing this podcast was how much 19th century historical fiction there is about the Middle Ages. Oh, almost, it goes on. And yeah, they were so obsessed, obsessed with the Middle Ages. Almost every topic we've had, if it's not obscure, has one or two 19th century novels about mm. it. Sometimes I really like going and looking at the 19th century novels. This week, my brain wasn't in 19th century prose space. So I didn't do that. But (laughs) if you go, because you got to be in exactly the right frame of mind to do 19th century prose. 
I'm kind of not often there. Well, I mean, it depends. Not, I love 19th century prose if it's like, oh, I don't know, let's say Eliot and Dickens and whatnot, or pretty much any of the Russians. But no, the mediocre 19th century prose, I never can handle. I just can't do that. No. Sometimes I'm in the right frame of mind because I have a melodramatic vein in my soul. So sometimes I can do it, but I wasn't there this week. And anybody who wants to go look at the list of the 19th century historical novels is welcome to go check it out on Wikipedia. <laughs> How long but is this list? Is it a really long list for there's James? There's one from 1862. There's one from 1891. There's from from 1899. <laughs> there's a couple from the 19th century. He shows up in a Dorothy Dunnett novel, which is cool. Who is this? Dorothy Dunnett is, uh, she's really brilliant, um, uh, historical fiction author who's um, an influence on Game of Thrones, actually. Ah. And mostly it's set, mostly she's writing books set in Scotland. Oh, okay. Anywho, um, so there's a series of plays from two, that was originally written in 2014 and then was um Stage it again in 2016 for the Edinburgh International Festival. They're written by Rona Monroe. There's and it, they're, it's called the James Plays, and there's one for James the first, one for James the second, and ones for James the third. That's so tidy. <laughs> they they are obviously in conversation with Shakespeare's history plays. Uh, mm-hmm. The reviews often comment on on that comparison and the playwright was commissioned to write these i i cannot help but conclude that part of what is going on here is this internal debate in scotland about independence Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the independence vote that was going on at about this time and of course we'll be coming back with with brexit and everything but it's also the case that the author as well as the reviews, talks about wanting to provide Scotland with an equivalent of Shakespeare's history cycles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, in particular, his his Wars of the Roses plays. Right. And so this really fits. They're very interesting plays. Um, they're written in, they're, uh, it's not that they're written in Scots, but it's um, they're definitely produced with a with a pretty heavy Scottish accent. I watched the trailer for mm. the plays on YouTube and could have benefited from subtitles. <laughs> and what happens there then is that the characters who are not from Scotland stick out. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The French princesses who are being married into this family stick out because they have totally different accents. The the play that is about James II, according to the reviews, is generally the the weakest of the three. Um, I will say that I would have, 10 out of 10 would have produced and would definitely watch on the stage. The way it's constructed is because he was a little boy, right? When he came to the throne, it's not told from the six-year-old's point of view. It is told as things being remembered by him later. And in particular, oh, okay. and in particular things being remembered by him later in the form of nightmare. It's like, it's like James is so traumatized by the time he's an adult, he cannot remember his childhood except through nightmare. So in this, so when he's remembering the black dinner, for instance, and we refer you to our earlier podcast, he's remembering it as something that actually happened. That would be one of the classically traumatizing moments for the young King James, even though it didn't, I mean, they killed the Douglases, but they, there wasn't actually a dinner with a bull's head so the play is actually pretty clever about how it handles the black dinner because it is being told through his memory and he's been um set up as somebody who's telling his story through through his nightmares and so in the 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 scene that is his his nightmare memory of it there is this moment where a bull's head is on a tray but then the next thing that happens is a, a a man who is clearly a nightmare figure with a bull's head comes in and is the one attacking 
the other two. So, so it right. isn't necessarily taking the position that it happened literally, but it is this thing that's happening in his memory. Right, 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 right. Fair enough. I like that. That's very smart. It's, um, it opens with, with a scene where right after his father's assassination, where he is totally freaked out and is hiding in a chest and it's his cousin, William, the one that he ends up because what the play does is it structures looking at the relationship between the two of them. Mm. It posits the idea that they were they were friends until they weren't. Fair enough. Um, one of the reviews says uh, compares it to like Hal and Hotspur as if they grew up together. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which I think nice. is is a good way of thinking about it. It posits that James is is as you might expect, pretty traumatized by everything he's gone through, and indeed struggles with not hiding in that box. Like he sleepwalks when he's having nightmares and goes back into the box. And of course, the play is then setting up the box as a metaphor because he's constantly in the box. But. I really liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. I, I liked the um, the way in which the play is setting up the two of them trying to be friends um, and having the older people in their lives making that impossible because mm. the older people in their lives are are so ruled by their ambition that it doesn't allow the two of them to be friends. So, you know, the young the young King James is this pawn being pulled back and forth between Livington and Livingston and Crichton. And then William's father, the one who arranged the black dinner Mm -hmm. beats the crap out of William at least three times on the stage because William won't live up to the amount of ambition he wants him to have. The dad is positioning them to depose James Uh and, put William in his place and William doesn't want that. He's resisting it. <laughs> yeah, Cause it's not a, it's not a pleasant place to be actually. Does the play have the murder in there when, when yes. James loses his temper? Yes. You'd um, have to have it. If you were going to yes. be having this play that had the whole thing with the friendship between these two people, one of whom murders the other, you'd really have to include the murder. I'm glad that it does. And and it's an interesting arc that I would say that the play's sympathy is with James. It's hmm. not that it's it's not that it's hard on William. It, it there there is sympathy for William, but the play's greater sympathy is with James. That interesting. He, he cannot just exist in the world. Hmm. There's all of these people pushing at him. And so what gets set up is that, you know, he and William keep telling each other Look, it's you and me. It's you and me against these people. We got to stick together. And then James ends up married to to Mary. And once she's pregnant, she keeps starts poking at him to assert himself. So there's this little like Lady Macbeth undertone going on with her that um, she says to him, you're not in charge. You do what these old men tell you to do. And I want my son to be a prince. A real prince, and it's true that the uh, the Douglases were indeed running things. True, you know, this, they had a great deal of power. He wanted out from under. Fair enough. So Mary, according to the play, Mary gets James to send William away to send him off to be an envoy to the Pope and what yeah. whatnot. He has to go to so, the Jubilee for years so that he can consolidate his base of power and, you know, seize a couple of things of Williams. And then when William comes home, he goes to him and basically says, you know, what the hell, man? <laughs> and also, also you're not doing that to me again. And he has this, th- there's this conversation, this is the conversation between them that then leads up to the end. This re- leads up to the murders. This really tense conversation where they're they're saying to each other, "I want to still be friends with you," but James is saying, "But I am the king and I'm in charge." And William's like, "You're in charge of everything except me. Hmm. You will not tell a Douglas what to do. You can be in charge of everything else, but not me." 
Yeah, yeah. You really have to kill off the Douglases if instead of trying to get them to obey. This is true. This is a true thing concerning at least the black Douglases. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the the conversation then just whips the two of them up into this fury of being mad at each other that they supposedly want to come to terms, but but neither one of them are going to abandon that position. And William finally says to him, look, buddy, (laughs) you can be in charge of everything else, but I need you to know that I can walk in here at any time, kill your baby, fuck your sister and hit your wife in the face. And that will happen if I want it to. And that's what tips James over into killing him. That is so interesting because that, of course, has no, this isn't out of history. This is out of our playwright's brain. Right. But that's really interesting because you, you end up having like, well, what is it that pushes somebody so far over the edge that they stab someone else 26 times? Is it just simply, no, I don't think that I will do that thing? There has to be some kind of um, kindling. There has to be some kind of fire. That, so, yeah, so you have to, it makes sense. You want to make something up. And that's kind of scary. I'm like, well, of course you have to stab somebody 26 times. And so, yeah, the sympathies with James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think, it would produce very well. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see it as a trilogy, wouldn't it? I'd like to see that. Mm. Yeah, I was I was telling you earlier that uh, I haven't read the other two plays because they're both they're, they're all three of them are quite long. But the reviews like to talk um, about the one with James the first that uh, he spent all that time in captivity with right with Henry the fifth and. The pl- and the play deliberately inverts Shakespeare's heroic understanding of Henry V by having him be really all about power and quite coarse. Um, the The plays are written in modern dialect, and Henry V uh, drops the f bomb a lot. <laughs> um, and at one point, he tells James the the whole the whole king gig is just fucking women you don't know and killing your relatives, <laughs> which I feel like is a fairly accurate description of <laughs> medieval royal history. Yes, medieval kingship. <laughs> but I'm I'm sure that went over well with the English. <laughs> Take that, Agincourt. <laughs> you know it probably is closer to what Henry V was actually like in real life I mean he was one tough cookie yeah and Agincourt is like Agincourt is not like this like courtly Agincourt is a battle won on account of uh the battlefield and um some good technology amongst the longbowmen you know it's like it isn't anything about it's not romantic god i hope somebody's written a book though about the importance of agincourt as a metaphor for the english because they're constantly dragging that out Mm -hmm. as a way to you know psych themselves up for whatever horrible thing they have to face right 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 you know, my, um, uh, I've, Agincourt is one of my favorite things. And so I think about it a lot. And my dad was, uh, he had taken himself on a tour of, um, World War One uh, battle sites that his father was in. His father was, um, his, his father was in the, his father was one of the few people to survive and, and, and come home. One of those Texas, one of those East Texas, uh, guys, one of the East Texas boys that came on home from World War One after fighting and france uh and so my father and he wrote a book and my father was doing the intro and so he was on this little tour and he went to agincourt was my grandfather at agincourt no but my dad knows how much i love agincourt so he went to agincourt and he took pictures of everything so that he could send it back to me and he told me that in the parking lot there were no french cars (laughs) surprise surprise yeah (laughs) It was all English cars in the parking lot at Agincourt. Yeah. I was happy to have some drama on this go. It always makes me cheerful yeah. when there's some drama. It makes me happier when it's great drama. So that, yes. that was really yes. happy. Yes, because sometimes we have drama and it's kind of crappy drama. But mm. 
Yeah. So we should, so we should definitely, so this is not obviously, uh, we can't really go and see this, but you said there's trailers on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. There's some trailers and there are reviews for, um, and the, the play is very accessible. Um, there is one standalone biography of James the second and you're well, you're welcome to go spend like 40 bucks on it used, but I didn't. So <laughs> when is it from? How old is it? No, it's relatively recent, um, 2015, but it's, it was published in England and it's hard to get here. I would have liked to have read it, but it was too costly. Working on a budget here, so. <laughs> yeah, but so there's like time and money constraints. Both, and it's not yeah. available electronically, which is really irritating. Yeah, there's there's basically one scholar, Christine McLatterty, who who cares about James II. We seem to be running across that a lot, that there will be a scholar who has focused on a particular, we saw that with um, Edward II, and we saw that with, um, William Rufus had, had a particular scholar who, you know, this one scholar has decided this is their thing, and happy to have somebody because somebody's got to go dig through the archives and find this stuff. And it's not going to be me. <laughs> I'm happy to read people's scholarship. I do not wish to go dig through archives. Mm, I not not these days. You know what I'd also like is uh, to know, uh, as far as I can tell, the Douglases, on the other hand, the Douglases come are coming down through popular culture, like basically through the Black Dinner, which, of course, as we know, didn't actually exist. So I'd like to know more. About, I'd like to know more about how the Douglases are appearing because they're a major force. But yeah, everything centers around the Black Dinner. It was a busy time in Scotland. Got assassinations and... I mean, you're pretty stone cold. I understand that they're all related to each other. So you got to get over the idea of killing relatives or you're just not going to make it. But <laughs> it's stone cold, okay, for the great uncle to have arranged the black dinner. Yes. It, for, just as a precy for those of you who don't feel like going and finding the podcast about the black dinner, the black dinner, um, as as we were saying earlier, the young Earl of Douglas gets killed off, and so does his younger brother. This does happen. What the myth is is that they're invited to a dinner, and there's a black bull's head brought out to signify, in some kind of ancient tradition which never existed, that there's going to be a death, and then so they're screaming and upsetting, and the young the the boy king king james is crying and all upset and they kill these two um these two young douglases the douglases were invited to show up um to to come to to come to court um they knew better they did and they were executed that's what happened there was no bowl there was no dinner so we're just saying that but you know but the the dinner and the bowl to see that's the much better story than and then we went then we visited and got our heads cut off. It's like, that's, well, whatever. <laughs> we want a black dinner and a bull involved. That's what we want before we're going to pass that on into popular culture. Yeah, another Scottish person killed a Scottish person. Well, he killed his relative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I want to point out, was this in between the Black Douglases and the Red Douglases? No, no. This was Black Douglas and Black Douglas. Just like, so it's like, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> It was very dangerous. Clearing the path. Clearing the path for my particular branch of my branch. You know this. Any rate, yes. So there wasn't any there wasn't any um there wasn't any black dinner, but there were some deaths. Uh we didn't mention that when on James the Second's father was assassinated, we did talk about the assassination, but we did not point out that the reason they caught him whilst he was trying to get away was that he'd gone in, down into a sewer, which it turned out had been blocked up because um, they had been losing tennis balls down it. And so they'd blocked it so as to save the tennis balls. And that's how the king died. We, meant, we didn't mention that part. We should mention that again, because that's a nice little detail, the tennis balls, actually. That is the sort of thing that if you put it in a novel, people would say, oh, come on.
Yes, po- people would not believe getting stuck in a sewer on account of having to save the tennis balls, but they will believe a dinner with a black boar's head stuck in the middle of the table. I just can't, I can't explain this as to what people will believe and not believe, because one was yeah, true and but, one wasn't, and you see which has come down through history. But that's dramatic, not, you know, the king died because of a farcical dumb. <laughs> I find the tennis balls highly dramatic and I can only hope really, this is what I'm hope is that as he was caught on that side of like some little sewer thing that had blocked off some little grate that had blocked off the sewer that he could see some tennis balls on the other side. I will say that this would never have happened to a Norman because a Norman would have understood (laughs) that having, having a bolt hole was way more important than being able to make sure the tennis balls didn't roll away. Now, the Normans don't get caught in the sewers because of the tennis ball. Now, what the Normans do is they take their boats out drunkenly in the middle of the night and then, you know, kill everybody off by going onto a rock that everybody knew was there. They'll do that. They'll do that. <laughs> or, or having hunting accidents in the new forest. They do that. Those, those all involve a lot of, you know, spunk and overmode. <laughs> <laughs> Not, okay, this <laughs> not just not not just kind of trying to run away and getting caught in this nickel and diming, balls. you know, the place by trying to keep the tennis balls and forgetting that that was your escape route if anything bad ever happened. Well, maybe he just thought that nothing bad would ever happen. Oh wait, no, that's stupid. <laughs> that would that would be a super dumb approach to being king of Scotland. Yeah, nothing bad will happen to me. I'm fine. That'll be fine. Maybe he learned to play tennis while he was all holed up there with Henry V. Oh, that would be even funnier, wouldn't it? Because, yes, because there was a bunch of that going on. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of intermarriage going on with the Scots and the French at this point, which, you know, is that thing going on because they're ganging up against the English. So maybe they just learned it directly from the French. Well, are we done with what we have to say about the murder of the horrible murder, the overkill murder of um, William, the Earl of Douglas? I sure think so. I, I I hope somebody around here does these plays, but I'm betting that the there are not enough Scottish expats around here for it to show up. Maybe they'll maybe they will film them at some point. I mean, they must have gone over okay because they they premiered in 2014 and they were revived in 2016, which suggests to me that things went over pretty well. I would have liked to have, I would have liked to have seen them. Um, There are a few kind of rehearsal videos or people talking about it videos. I'll, I'll put a few links up from what's on YouTube. Yeah. Have fun with this. Have fun with their Scottish accents. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, we'll get back to the Scots at some point. I know that we're going to do a special episode where we go back into um, the early modern period and cover you know, all those deaths around Mar- Darnley kills Rizzio and then Darnley gets murdered. We'll, we'll do that. But we're not going to do that for a while. I think it's, we're not doing that until like around December. Uh, next podcast, do you remember what we're doing next? Oh, gosh. I always fail this quiz. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. I'm very focused. <laughs> I don't have the superpower. I know. Well, it's a list. It's called a list. We're sharing the list. But at any rate, we're uh, we've got another special episode. Um, not in terms of time. Our last special episode, we went outside in terms of time and went into the early uh-huh. modern period. We're going to stay in the Middle Ages, but we're going to go to Byzantium. We're going to talk about the sack of Constantinople. Oh, Byzantium. Yeah, 12- that was a twelve oh five. That was very bad. The sack of Constantinople. So we're going to talk about that because hey. Yet another crusade that did the wrong, wrong things. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Crusades to, to do the right thing. Are any coming to your mind? Because they are not in my mind. Crusades were just it's bad. Clearly that uh, the vast majority of them just went off and hit whatever was most convenient and or profitable. The thing is, even if they're obeying, actually obeying the mandate, the mandate is foundationally god-awful. And so there's no, there can be no good crusade of, in the Middle Ages. There just can't because it's like, let's go kill people who aren't Catholic, essentially, you know. And then it's like, let's go people who kill people who aren't the right kind of Catholic. And then it's going to go, let's go kill people who aren't us and have some stuff we would like, essentially. It's just bad. Yeah. 
Well, that was our discussion of um, yet another Scottish murder where kings lose their temper and sad things happen and somebody gets thrown out a window. Oh, and they buried him there, by the way. That was the other thing. Like, throw him out a window, bury him there. There's graves all underneath the windows, the medieval windows. There's all these people buried. It has to have been an upper floor because you didn't have windows big enough to throw somebody out of on the first or second story of, you know, any kind of defensible structure. Well, if you're going to throw somebody out of a window, you don't throw them out the first. If you're going to throw them out and you're on the first floor, you just simply kind of chuck them out the door. You know, you don't go around like, let's open the window and throw them out into the rose bush. That makes no sense. No, you have to be on No, that would be very unsatisfying. No, it says you've got to be up so that you can throw them down. (laughs) It's very meaningful, I gather. But that's been our discussion of the murder of William Douglas by King James II. This has been True Crime Medieval, where the crimes are just like they are today, only with less technology. And we are on... Did you have a something? No, it just doesn't take much technology to stab somebody and then throw them out a window. That's, That's pretty basic stuff. So yeah, you could totally still do that. You could, but today you might shoot them and throw them out a window and, you know, it's like that. That was the thing that was not available. <laughs> Tase them and then shoot them and throw them out a window. Two things not available. Uh, we're on, you can find us on Apple Podcast and Stitcher and Spotify. Any place the podcasts are hanging out, we are there. And we are at truecrimemedieval.com. True Crime Medieval is all one word. And if you go there, you can find my little discussions with pictures. And you can find the show notes, which are written by Michelle. And the transcripts, which are done for us by Lori Dietrich. And you can also find links to other podcasts there. And, of course, the entire catalog. We're up into the 40s at this point. Yeah, we've done lots of stuff. Yeah, and you can leave um you can leave uh reviews over on Apple Podcasts and we would love that. Please please do that. Thank you. And spread this around if you know people who are in, would be interested in these lovely historical discussions of crimes in the Middle Ages. And uh you can also over at True Crime Medieval leave comments for us. We really appreciate that and we get to them when we can and answer. And you, if you have crimes that you think we should look at, please let us know. We'll take those into consideration. And so, bye. Bye. Bye.